Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Are you ready for the word? Uh, I'm going to just kick us off with a prayer and uh, let's jump in. God, we thank you uh, for us being able to have this privilege of being in this space right here, right now, in this moment. And God, we pray, uh, even as we open ourselves up to your work, Holy Spirit, speak to us, wash us with your word, and um, go deep into the recesses of our hearts with the things that we bring to you. Would you speak to us right where we are and draw out a response from us that is full of faith and obedience to you for your kingdom, for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, very good morning. Uh, in case you didn't catch it, my name is Janice. I'm one of the staff here at the city. And as we've mentioned in the past two weeks, we've, talking, uh, we've been talking about these two H's, right? So today, we're talking about being a community marked by holiness. And marked, so like stamped, you know, sealed, uh, um, established, and it characterized by holiness. But before we delve into what holiness is and how we are to pursue it together, let's recognize, first of all, the backdrop, right, that uh, this climate uh, in which we live, right? We live in a moment of moral relativism. Right, uh, just where you know no absolutes. We somehow, we somehow are able to be a people who are more moral and less moral at the same time. I don't know if you kind of can imagine or catch what I'm saying. Worldviews uh, being shaped where you know there's no such thing as absolute truth. Uh, you know, to be woke, what does it look like? And these are times of bewilderment, uh, moral bewilderment, where just reading the headlines and things that go viral, things that are sensational that people catch, latch onto, and and follow, uh, just really demonstrate this. Many weeks ago, there was just a slew of uh, um, newspaper articles or, you know, headlines or whatnot that were all about just stuff that were happening in, in many families that, that really shouldn't, shouldn't happen. Uh, you know, my life group, we kind of like briefly talked about this, just, just bewildered. I felt so troubled just seeing what things are taking place in so many families, things that ought not be, right? things that are not right. Dallas Willard wrote an in, uh, this manuscript uh, uh, that he didn't manage to complete um, before he passed away, that's now been published called The Disappearance of Moral Knowledge. And in there, he notes uh, where in previous eras, knowledge of good or bad, right or wrong, they were recognized as knowledge as opposed to um, you know, feelings, opinions, and therefore it provided a sort of authoritative guidance for living. But this authority has degenerated to the point of just vanished, right? disappeared. The overall cultural attitude towards moral knowledge has shifted drastically. What was uh, perceived as common sense, as good or bad, maybe five years ago, seven years ago, now it's just drastically changed. Moral knowledge is no longer certifiable, especially in the public space. As the assumption that there is no knowledge of God is, is, is stronger, Right, in institutions like our schools, universities, and all that, moral knowledge has weakened. 
And, and now morality is relocated from the domain of knowledge, something that we can know, that which is real and can be grounded in evidence, has shifted, relocated to this domain called like faith, which I guess faith, right? Mere tradition, opinions, feelings, uh, that's where it's moved. And, and we know how devastating this shift can be, right? For individuals, families, societies as a whole. But I really believe, as Willard puts it, the best physical, chemical, and other scientific knowledge will not tell us what to do and who to be. Without a vision of the good life as truly good, human desire is left to want what it wants without the constraint of knowing what is good, better, and best. So in these times, is the self our reference point? Ourself. We've heard, we always hear the mantra, right? Follow your heart. Do what you think is right. You, you do you, right? Don't you know that the heart is the most complicated thing, right? I don't know about you, but my heart is pretty complicated, right? Or it's okay, as long as we don't harm anybody, then it's right. So, for example, if my child comes to me and asks, Mommy, can I play with this knife? What would I do? How, no? How do I love and not harm? Well, the problem is, in order to know, we need a knowledge of good and evil. We need to know uh, a basis for knowing what is truly harmful, right? Who decides? By who or, or what metric can we know what is harmful versus not harmful? To know love and hate, harm and all that, what is truly good, all these need to take reference from someone, something. And we are the first society in the history of the world to attempt to live with no sacred order, no uh, transcendent, overarching moral authority beyond the self. Whereas in the previous era, as we've heard in, in the previous sermon, it was fitting to never deny God, but now it is fitting to not deny ourselves. With the self as a reference point, then, what we see, unfortunately, crazily, is derangement. In our attempt to create utopia, a world full of peace, happiness, justice, goodness, so much irrationality surrounds us. So much anxiety, so much craziness. Like I said, you know, just the news. What, you know, what's happening to the world? Whether online, offline, in public or in private, these attempts to create goodness apart from God cannot succeed. Douglas Murray, in an interesting book uh, called The Madness of Crowds, writes this, that people now, we're the first people in recorded history to have absolutely no explanation for what we are doing here and no story to give life purpose. Whatever else they lacked, the grand narratives of the past at least gave life meaning. The question of what exactly we are meant to do now, other than get rich where we can and have whatever fun is on offer, was going to have to be answered by something. So we've got all sorts of new ideas and new concepts about what's good and what's right and what's woke, right? Hundreds of years of secular thought, that's the problem, has not produced a better society. A transcendent moral authority, what is it? 
It doesn't make sense that, you know, from, from uh, the worldview of the survival of the fittest, killing off all the weak, uh, you, tribal wars, you can get to this place where we truly know that every life matters. But it makes sense if we trace it back. Every life matters because from Genesis 1, we know every human is created in the image of God. Anarchy, the breakdown of orders, we see this in Judges, Judges 17.6. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This anarchy is not new. It's since the Garden of Eden. The clash of anarchy versus transcendent moral authority, this is where the clash is at. And for you and I, God calls us, his people, to hold the tension between truly persistently engaging with the culture in which we live while faithfully living distinct from it. This is our tension. The word for this is holiness. We are to be a community marked by holiness. But what is holiness? Being good, moral, it's one of the most often repeated commands in the Bible, in scripture. Be holy, for I am holy. We've looked at this quite recently, 1 Peter chapter one. He who called you is holy, so you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. You see, our salvation doesn't end when we say yes to Jesus. Yes, I will follow you, Jesus. It goes on. And the ultimate end of our spiritual journey is spiritual union with God. It's not merely a life that is uh, good and happy and abundant, even here, right here on earth, but the ultimate goal, end goal, is union, full union with God. In Christian theology, we call this theosis, right? The process of being transformed into the likeness of God. C.S. Lewis, though he never used this word theosis, he frames it this way. Imaginatively, the Son of God became a man so that we men can become sons of God. That is our ultimate goal, not just conversion, right? But to grow into union that is full, robust, complete, whole with God. Holiness has been defined in so many ways, right? Someone who's like a guru, a sage type of person, wow. That person very holy, right? Where's perceived holiness. Or someone with some superpower, you know, like, wow, look at that. They get a following. Or someone with a very high moral standard. Someone who lives by a very high moral code. But whatever it is, however we have defined holiness, I think at the end you see this thread, which is this longing to see something of the divine in humanity. That is holiness, the presence and the power of God. But it is possible, guys, even as you hear this, right? Maybe you read First Peter and you're like, be holy. And some translations say, be perfect. Even as I am perfect, God says, wow, who can be perfect? <laughs> oh, this sample, Nila, you know, I'm not saying I can. 
But the word there, perfect, be holy, we can be. God wouldn't say, be holy, haha, I'll watch, I'll, I'll laugh, watch you try. But God knows we can. Why? Because He is. That's the thing. That's our hope. Be holy, I can't. But be holy because I am holy. Yes, I can. When we fix our gaze on God who is holy, we cannot help but be holy because we are in the presence of the most holy one. First Peter says that, and we know, how many of you remember, I was nostalgic when I thought of this as I was praying for today. You know Ron Canoli, there's this song. Hallowed be your name. Wow, you're like, what song is that? Hallowed be your name. Well, Ron Canoli is one of my favorites. When I hear him, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's. Come on, let's do a rendition now. Guitar Anchor. Okay. <laughs> plug, plug for Desmond. Anchor, okay. <laughs> but when we pray the Lord's Prayer, right? Our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be your name. When your Father is holy, we as the sons of God, we can be holy. That's the thing. So I hope you recall that today you're not listening. Wow, holiness, very far-fetched. It is reasonable. It's only reasonable for us to be holy because our communion with God is such that we cannot help but take on His very nature and grow into His likeness. To say that something is holy, what does that mean? It means it's something that's set apart, consecrated, dedicated for a specific use. I thought of like, what can I use as an example? Think of your toothbrush. How would you all like to share toothbrush? I remember at somebody's wedding, this was a question across the table of fives. Hey, you know, those of you who were at the other table, you'll remember. Would you share toothbrush? Shen, you remember that question? Hey. <laughs> oh, that does not bode well for my example today. But <laughs> in general, we would not share our toothbrush. <laughs> yeah, wait, this is on. Okay. Hmm. <laughs> but in general, we don't share toothbrush, right? It is devoted, it's meant to be for a specific person's use, unless in emergency. But to be set apart means to be dedicated for a specific use, to be hagios, it means this, uh, or hagia, right? It means to be consecrated. You are for an exclusive purpose, to be set apart for such a use. We look at John 17. It says here, Jesus uh, speaking to the Father, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Some of us who may be familiar with the phrase in but not of, right? In the world but not of the world. We clearly see this in this passage. In verse 17 and verse 19, the word uh, in verse 17 is sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. Verse 19, for their sake I consecrate myself 
same word as sanctified, that they also may be sanctified in truth. These words, sanctified, sanctified, consecrate, they are all from the same word, hagios, hagia. Hagiazo is another word, the act of making something hagios, right? Notice is not primarily a moral word. It's not uh, moral, like right, wrong. In this passage, it's clearly, it, it's about relationship. It's about being available for God, for God's purposes in the world, to live differently, a life that is consecrated in every area of our lives, our relationships, our finances, our, you know, in sex, in food, in the whatever it is that we do in our work, right? In all of this, to live consecrated lives, to be sanctified, not not any less, but sanctified in the truth, the word of God, such that we live lives that are available for God's use. And Jesus saw his disciples to be unlike the world, to be sanctified, contrasted to be sanctified for other use, no, but sanctified for God's use. What holiness is not, that helps us to better understand also. What holiness is not is legalism. If you track with Jesus' teachings and his life in the Gospels, you see he did not quite fit into our usual boxes. Is he religious? Is he irreligious? Is he conservative? Is he liberal? Which? Is he just about moralism or immoralism? Does it matter? Which one matters to Jesus? One of the best examples of this is in John 8, when some of the religious leaders brought a woman caught in adultery to Jesus, cornered him, Jesus, what should we do with this woman? Either way, it's a trap, right? How would you like to be Jesus at that moment? Not really. Now, Jesus famously said in verse 11, who condemns you, right? He asked the woman, and the woman says, Owen, because no one at that moment dared to speak up when Jesus was there writing in the sand. So Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. But he didn't stop there. Jesus went on to say, go and from now on sin no more. To Jesus being holy, and he is the, the epitome of you know, holiness, right? So one with the Father. Holiness is not just a code of conduct or a set of rules. If you follow the law, you're holy? No, uh, that's not it. That's not all it is. Jesus' life on earth was not about 50% conservative, 50% liberal. Today, he feels liberal. Tomorrow, he feels good. No, it's not. He was beyond these categories. He was absolutely full of grace and absolutely full of truth every time at the same time. So holiness is not about legalism, it's not about separatism either. Bear with me, just, just two isms, okay? People of the way, you know, those who follow Jesus were distinct in that time of the early church. They were also not just distinct, separate, uh, not uh, the same as the culture around them, but they were also present. What I mean by that is in John 17, what we saw is Jesus was not just praying, oh, you know, please preserve my disciples so that they don't like get destroyed by the world, you know, but he prayed that do not take them out of the world because, you know, send them into the world just as you have sent me. 
while Jesus didn't want them to be so off the world, like, you know, that, that indistinguishable from the worldly culture, he wanted them in it, present. He did not ask for them to be taken out, but sent them into the world. And just like Sermon on the Mount, which Pastor Andre touched on the past two Sundays, the insights we see from there is, blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God, right? Verse 8, blessed are those who mourn, they shall be comforted. And the thing is, this, 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 this uh, blessedness, right, is to be lived in the context of our culture. We are not supposed to be detached from it. Uh, like, I will have nothing to do with the cultures that are ungodly. No, but Jesus prays, send them into the world, but that they will not be of it, but they need to be in it. And this verse in Matthew 5, 8 and 4 reminds us, verse 8 says, pure in heart, oneness, singleness of heart in devotion to God. And verse 4, those who mourn. And this mourning is not a casual sorrow, but a very intense mourning. Over what? An intense grief and mourning over what is broken. Sometimes our sadness when it comes to like not living holy or holy, it's pertaining to just the consequence of sin or our wrongdoings or whatever it is. But no, it is mourning over more than that, the effects of it on relationships, on creation, this awareness also that we are poor in spirit, a lowliness before God and men. This kind of godly sorrow which produces true repentance. And sometimes our holiness seems merely to be self-preserving. How far can I go before I cross the line? Many years ago, leading youths, one of the favorite things that the youths like to ask when they have kopi time with me, sit down and say, Janisa, can I do this? Janice, what do you think if I you know, do this. And uh, my favorite response is to not answer. <laughs> if you had me as a youth pastor, you probably wouldn't like me very much. But <laughs> I hardly ever gave straight answers. I'm not sure if that has changed. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> oh, I guess, you know, old habits. And so my favorite response is to ask them questions. For example, you ask me, right, is it wrong, uh, Janice, to do this? Who told you it's wrong? Okay, maybe I didn't, like, who told you it's wrong? <laughs> Sometimes if they ask too many times, they'll be like, who told you it's wrong? Huh? And I'll respond like that. Sometimes like, you know, Janice, I know the church always says I cannot do this, but why? Huh? Does the church always say that? Who? Who in the church says it? Then they try and like, they in, somehow in their imagination, they have heard me say it, but like they try to jog and like go through their memory, like, oh yeah, I can't remember you saying it. That's because you were not listening, but I probably did say it, but. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not the point. When our conviction, when we're trying to be holy on someone else's convictions, 
Of course, as we grow up, you know, we raise our children, we teach them. There are prohibitions, right? You're not going to reason, like, let's sit down and do some critical thinking at age five. Right? Uh, you can start, but you know, it's a long journey uh, from there. But our holiness needs to come from a place of God transforming us from the inside. And we know that. And oftentimes we forget, but Jesus would have us remember. Second Chronicles 7.14, I was reminded of this because I thought about it. Sometimes our holiness is self-preserving, we're focusing or absorbed in ourselves. But really what it is, is to be so, so desirous of what's on God's heart. That is not just me focusing on my holiness. It's what is not holy in the world. And that's precisely what true holiness is. It is not an inward, self-preserving religiosity or a protective one. It is one like Jesus who would go to the most unholy places because of his heart for the holy God. Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people, if my people would come, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways to be holy, is to identify with the sin in the world, not just our own. Jesus didn't say, or God didn't say, seek my face, if my people seek my face and turn away from sinners. No. To be holy is not to be distant towards unholiness, but to see it, to break our hearts over it, to identify with it and to repent from it on behalf of others. If there were only 10, God, would you spare this city? Just 10, God, would you? Being holy, we don't use ourselves as a reference, but God. Holiness, as I learned from one book that I read recently, Gary Thomas, is being wholly available and he wrote there, like, pun intended, but holy, fully, right? But also holy. Holiness is being wholly available for God's glory. Because it's not about just a metric of right, wrong, or scale. It is our relationship with God. And it concerns the heart. True transformation, this union with God, takes us beyond the limitations of traditional understandings about morality, but into the deep issues of the heart. Holiness that does not bring the heart before God, you know what it will do to you and I? It will exhaust us. It will cause us to be self-righteous, prideful, produce a pseudo sense of righteousness, a posture of earning our merit before God. That is the kind of holiness when we do not bring our hearts before God. God wants our hearts. 
Isaiah 29 says, These people come near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is based merely on human rules they've been taught. That's not holy. I desire what I want is your heart. When we read Matthew 5, 8, singleness of heart is the purity by which we will see God. Holiness, a sustained attention to the condition of our hearts, the wellspring of life to center on God. God give us hearts that are tender. God give us hearts that are repentant, humble, lowly, not proud, not self-seeking. And God, how much I need you for that. It is more than what we don't do. We cannot be preoccupied with merely avoiding, but to be fully available. Are my eyes free from lust? If the answer is yes, are your eyes, however, also blind to compassion? Are my hands innocent of murder? but are my hands also not used to reach out? Is my mind free from hate? Yes. Is my mind also disengaged from the painful realities that others face? Are my ears protected from vile cursings, swearings, but also deaf to hurt around me? So much of our lives as Christians, if we're not careful, it is far from the holiness God desires. We are not merely set apart from something. We are set apart for something. I had the image of toothbrush in my head as I said that, but... (laughs) I'm not going to cover the rest of it because I want to give you guys time to respond. You know, as I was worshipping, it's uncanny, but recently in our live group time, we had a bit of time of sharing over a topic and um, this image that God reminded me of from years ago came and it just stayed stuck for a long time until this morning. And this morning, God reminded me of a passage. This was before Tim started singing a song that reminded me of it. Um, The woman with the alabaster jar. You know that story, right? In my life, that passage of scripture is one of the keystone passages that shaped um, my life before God and ministry or my view of my calling. And this woman with the alabaster jar, which uh, in their time, basically is her entire life. It's her inheritance, her marriage, her future, the rest of her life in that jar. And she came to Jesus And she did an unthinkable act. She broke it. I know now we like try and fix things with super glue, but you know, there was no super glue back then. She broke it, like it's one off. You cannot fix it by and like pour the oil back. And she broke it. 
pure nard, like amazing fragrant oil, poured it over Jesus' feet and anointed Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair. The disciples, they're not just strangers. These are Jesus' disciples who've been following her, uh, him. <laughs> Says, why this waste? Why do this? You could have given it to the poor. Social justice, right? But you know, at that time, it's a perfect illustration. And this is God reminding me just now, didn't think of this before. Holiness, God's way, on God's terms. In her anointing, making or consecrating Jesus' feet was herself being set apart for God. You know, oftentimes, I don't feel holy. I think oftentimes it's an understatement. Maybe some of y'all are better than me if you use a moral, ethical metric. But we all know deep down the heart is depraved. We are complicated. In the best, on our best days, we sin. But our holiness comes from God. And our holiness must be in our desire and our act to adore God the best obedient way possible. And therein is us living a holy life. Would you stand with me? And take a moment as you prepare for just responding to God in song. I want to invite you to just gaze on God right now. Fix your eyes on Him. Turn your whole being, your heart to Him right now in this moment. Jesus. Look at Him. Bring your heart to Him. See him, Jesus, who is holy, standing before you. Jesus, we have nothing to bring but just ourselves, but that is enough. And we bring our whole hearts, all of us. What can we offer but this life you have given us? Jesus, you desire nothing but our hearts, not perfection. Not anything but all of us. Simply and plainly before you. Sincerely saying, Jesus, this is what I have. Would you receive it? And I give my life to you. And if that's your heart's response, I want to invite you to lift up your hands in the gesture of obedience. Not for me to see, but for Jesus as a physical pleasing act of worship 
you want to give to your Lord, your Savior, right this minute, and say, Jesus, I want to consecrate my life to your use for your purposes, not just for my own life, but for the world, wherever you plant me, Jesus, I say, this is my prayer. I want to be set apart for you. This is my desire, my prayer this morning. Would you lift both your hands high up, courageously, courageously, clearly. This is my heart's desire. Tell Jesus and begin to just use your own words and respond to him. Jesus, would you set me apart and begin to just ask him to set apart every area in your life. God, I, I set apart my dreams, my hopes, my future my whole life Jesus I consecrate all of me even my past Jesus you've made holy God would you set apart my time ahead my years ahead my resources my talents my gifts all that I have I give to you Jesus would you set these apart for your glory and as that's your heart's response you lift up your own words to him I begin just to respond to Jesus and tell him, Jesus, my life's yours. I am set apart for you. I want to be holy because you are. That's right. Just continue telling him with your own words. Let our words be set apart for Him. Our thoughts, everything in us, Jesus. Let us be a people marked by Your holiness. That when the, the world looks at us, Your people, they don't see legalism. They don't see just a people concerned about rightness or wrongness. They see a people marked by God's love, God's grace, God's goodness, God's peace, God's hope. They see these in your people, marked with your holiness, not human holiness, but yours, one of that which is divine, that is out of this world. That is our heart's desire, God. And so we lay our lives before you, because it's really all we have. Thank you, Lord. Let's respond to God with song.